welcome to this episode of the Gig Harbor Flycast. And I'm super stoked because today I have my friend Brian Bennett and uh, we've been we've been chatting here for a while. And um, and, I, and I finally just said, I should just, just hit record because we're never gonna get this thing done. And it's 11.30 right now and we- We've been here about two and a half hours. Yeah, and a half. <laughs> so, so here we go. Yeah, so hope all of you are uh, staying safe and sane. And yes. that's the, the second part is the one I keep thinking about. Just, um, so I had a client last, uh, last week and, um, and a uh, great guy. He's just a just a, a really fun guy to be be with. His name's Mark, and we were out fishing, and and um, he's he's got a daughter, and um, and I hadn't really thought about this. We were talking about uh, just the stay at home uh, thing and just what life is like because of all that. And he's working from home, and I've been working from home, and and um, and you know I have two kids, and they they like play together. I mean they're yeah. buddies, and like you know they, they get in fights and stuff like that once in a while too. But um, but like you know, they, they entertain each other. And and I'm like, I'm like, man, I had not thought about how hard this whole thing is for, uh, for families that just have one kid. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm in that camp. You you have to try to like entertain your kid all day. Oh yeah. I had to peel my, I had to peel the bumper sticker on my car that said my kid is an honor student at Adelaide Elementary School. (laughs) Cause she's learning. She's in fifth grade with me. (laughs) I got got a C minus in fifth grade math. (laughs) Fifth grade math is not easy. It's just like shocking. Like, so I'm the, I'm the gym teacher, the piano teacher and the language arts teacher. That's my role. So (laughs) The gym teacher, it's bowling on the the, the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> and she kicks my butt. You're per- being serious. I'm not kidding you. And like, it's, and she kicks my butt. Like, she's so, like, I, I, like, like I had her for a day or two, and now yeah. it's like, like, uh, like, can we try tennis? <laughs> well, I, I won't play games with my kids where there is a chance of them winning. <laughs> yeah, we we moved on to Clue. Like she's in the Clue right now. Big yeah, time. my my kids. I just don't like that game. Yeah, part. Yeah, it's like murder. Like that's a yeah. weird game, right? Yeah, it's Parcheesi's been really big. Oh, we haven't done that one. Yeah, Parcheesi's good. Uh, Uno, of course. Like that's just. I was yeah. trying to uh, teach my kids uh, cribbage, <laughs> but I've <laughs> but I forgot the rules. I you know we got to I one can... point where I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of. I can't remember if it's this or that or, you know, so a couple of the guys that I do trips with, Doug and Whitney and some of these guys, they're, they're huge cribbage guys. And so yeah. I, I got to get into it. I, I, I enjoy it, but I never remember how to play it. Um, when we get done, maybe later we'll play Hannah to cribbage. I don't know. I, <laughs> I kind of have a lot of work to do today. Brian. So here's the funny thing on cribbage. There's a way to play cribbage where you don't play to, like it's like playing with your kids. You don't play to win. You try to play to lose. The winner, the loser is the one that gets to the the end first and so you're trying oh, to throw really? away you're trying to throw away all your fives and all your face cards and all like you're trying to get rid of all that stuff well if we play <laughs> and and if and if you win we'll i'll celebrate and i'll do then yeah, i'll we fess up to lose weren't we I, yeah. <laughs> no doubt i'm glad you gave me but cribbage is one of those games like especially in the fly fishing space i mean yeah. i have the i think i have it um Cliff guys, you know, to make the fly boxes, sure. amongst other things, sent me one of their cribbage boards that comes in the fly box. So it folds oh, really? up. Yeah, it's super cool. Sounds cool. So it's cribbage and dice. So it's both. So you can play the dice game. Too. Okay, so here's yeah, something yeah. that everyone needs to know about Brian, and then we'll, we'll get into more uh, some more serious stuff about Brian. But if there's something that's cool, Brian knows it or has it. 
like for example, Brian was just saying, it's like, yeah, I have this uh, Patagonia Stormfront uh, cooler bag. I'm like, I've never even heard of a Stormfront cooler bag. He's like, well, it's because there's only one in the world and I have it. We should do a giveaway. I'm like, you can't give that away. Yeah. And the only reason why he says we should do a giveaway is because he knows that he has a thousand other one of a kind cool items in his garage that he doesn't know what to do with because he has so much cool stuff. I got a few things. Uh, it just comes from longevity and the outdoor. Being in the industry. Being okay, so to get into that, so yeah. Brian and I, we met uh, because Brian was working for Patagonia and was in charge of the fish program. And um, I, I have this right. Yeah, right. so I was uh, the REI account manager for Patagonia. Right. And then I was the part-time fly fishing sales manager for a couple of years. Yes, and so that's yes. how we met because right. even though you were in charge of kind of the whole fish program over the country. Yeah. You live here. You live like not yeah. too far away, half hour away. And so, and yeah. so, man, it's been 10 years that I can't believe it that we've been hanging yeah. out and fishing and yeah. all sorts of stuff. And, and, um, and look at us now. I know. Doing a podcast. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah. so. We've been talking about this for, for whatever, but yeah, yeah. it's been really So, fun. but most people, a lot of people know you because of Patagonia. Mm -hmm. um, you've been in outdoor retail for so, ever. Yeah, they would call me a woodchuck, I think is the, <laughs> so literally if you've been in the outdoor industry like more than 20 years or 25 years, you get literally an enamel pin that's a woodchuck. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was a guy named Larry Harrison did it, but and it, so I'm, I'm a woodchuck. I, I got into the outdoor industry in 1987. Yeah. And, yeah, and I actually started in bike world, so I was a, I was a huge bike geek, I raced bikes. And so I, I was I was in the bike industry and I, that evolved into outdoor and then ultimately Patagonia and fishing and all that stuff. I'm I'm late to the fishing game actually. I didn't start fly fishing until 2000. So, which was 20 years ago. I know 10 years ago it seemed like it was like yesterday, but yeah. <laughs> but in the scheme of things, like I didn't fish as a kid. Yeah. Like I I never had that exposure. Like fishing for me is You a didn't kid. fish as a kid, really. No, fishing as a kid for me was sitting on the dock with my grandfather in Maine, right. dunking worms and sure. you know, watching them. Which I feel bad for any kid that doesn't have that experience. Yeah, I well like every kid should dunk worms. Like I mean that should just be I mean oh, part it, of growing up. Yeah, and it was the proverbial like then they went to the supermarket and bought the fish and brought it home kind of thing, oh, right? Clearly. It was one of those things. But I never my parents never really I mean I, I mean regular uh like mainstream sports like sure. baseball and soccer and all that stuff. I was involved in all of that, but fishing, skiing, yeah. you know, I, all that stuff came later in life for me. And um, so what, so your first fly fishing experience, what, what, where, where was that at? What'd you do? So I worked for a, a company called Kelty, which makes backpacks, yeah. one of the oldest backpack companies around. And the president of the, that company is a guy named Casey Sheehan who's now actually the president at Sims Fishing. And he was at Patagonia. He was at Patagonia and, and at Kelty at the time. And he's a big fly angler, like just hardcore. And I had another friend that was an, kind of an acquaintance and I had told him, you know, hey, Mike, you know, our new president is into fishing. And he's like, oh, you should take it up. And I'm like, eh, fishing's stupid. You know, I didn't, I didn't get it. Sure. I never had that exposure. And so he sent me a kit. Uh, it was an Orvis Batten Kill four weight okay. and matching reel. Where were you? Li is this in Colorado? I was living in Colorado okay. in Boulder, and There's I went no fly fishing there. None. Well, I can even <laughs> get into more of that later. But when we talk like East Coast and striped bass. Like I went to school in the place. 
I lived in a place in Salem, Massachusetts, where I could literally could have walked down the street yeah. and caught striped bass. Yeah. Like, it just pains me right, right. now to realize all the years I missed. If you had known then. If I, yeah. if I knew, exactly. Right. So we were actually, we did a trip. We used to take retailers on trips. So we were up in Jackson, and we were on, I can't remember the lake, base of Mount Moran. And we paddled across in a canoe, and I, I had that little setup, and I had a little, you know, I think it was actually one of those like little lambskin pouch fly things that I got from like Orvis. You know, I still have one of those. Yeah, it was like it came yeah. with like five flies. It's, like it's a zippered wallet with with. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it had yeah. yeah, it had a couple fly, it had a few flies in it, yeah. and so it had. A ro- I remember it had a Royal Coachman in it. Ooh, of course, right? Gandhi would have used a Royal Coachman. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was a comment on Willie Chum. Anyway, so we, we paddle across. And there's the inlet creek that came in to this lake. It was beautiful, flat. And I had a rep there who worked for me. I was a sales manager at the time, and Roger. And he was a big fly angler. And I remember watching him and casting. And it was just, it was beautiful, the light. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so I just kind of hiked up. This little creek. I can do that. Yeah, not really. <laughs> but I walked up this little, this little creek, and there were all these little plunge pools. And I took my little Roy Coachman. I just kind of went, whoop. And like literally first cast, fish little little cutthroat came up and ate it, and I have the picture. And it's all been downhill since then. <laughs> so I went, I went all in. Yeah. So that next year, I probably had two hundred days on the water. Wow. <laughs> and so funny story is, you know, my wife, when I met the woman who became my future wife, she owned a tracker bass boat with like literally two trolling motors, two fish finders, I mean, serious. Yeah. yeah. And she she kind of worked for me in the warehouse at Kelty and I, you know, I needed stuff. I call, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going fishing. I'm like, ah, it's stupid. <laughs> so I went all in yeah. at that point. And so I had really great mentors. And you know, it's interesting about the relationships that you make. And so the guy that gave me that fly rod and reel has, has passed away since then. Hmm. And um, so the meaning of all of that, like how that, what he did defined me as a person now. Sure. Because fly fishing, fly fishing really defines me as a person. And I wish I had been able to do it earlier, but um, yeah. But you're making the most of it now. Trying. <laughs> and there's always been these steps along the way. Like my mentors, like Casey, my got the president sure. of Kelty at the time. We, I remember going on my first steelhead, like serious swinging steelhead trip on the Bulkley. And it was a perk. You know, sure. that was one of the reasons you get in the business is the perks are pretty good. Yeah. And so we went to the Bulkley River Lodge. I thought it was because we all make tons of money. Yeah, no. How do you make a small <laughs> fortune in the fly fishing industry? <laughs> start with the big one. Start with the big one. <laughs> exactly right. And so I, the last day I swung up a 40-inch steelhead, you know. And I remember going, and like basically Casey was like, the boy has become a man. <laughs> <laughs> So there's all those. I've th- never caught a 40 inch steel. Yeah, this was this was legit. 40, 21 inches around. It was yeah. it was a beast. That's so, awesome. So that was so. Yeah, we all we can I can you, I can define my life from 2000 in fishing terms. You can find all those like that first little cutthroat, that yeah. first swung up steelhead, the first giant trevally, first permit. Yeah, all of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you and I both like love to explore new fisheries and, mm-hmm. and travel and stuff like that. And, you know, some anglers are very content to to just stick with what they've always fished for. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think I've been fortunate to have the opportunity. If I hadn't been in the industry, I probably would not have been able to do some of these things. So I'm very fortunate in that respect. 
But, you know, I'll tell you, some of my favorite fisheries, like, I could fish for sea run cutthroat every day on the sound and be really, really happy. Yeah. Um, for sure. Because there's threads that run through angling regardless, you know. And so you, you adjust your tactics and your gear and all of that, and it, the, the, the dynamics are all the same. Sure. So, um, but, yeah, and I think that, you know, this whole COVID thing and how this all plays out long term and, you know, that whole kind of destination-driven, exotic travel thing. I mean, yeah, it's really, really important, but I think people are turning, changing that view, maybe changing that viewpoint a little bit because we've been kind of forced to do that. Yeah. And I think that's good for, I think it's good for the sport. I think it's ultimately going to be good for the fish because I think people are going to care more about their home waters and things. So, yeah, yeah but... We've been lucky, and you've done a. I mean, you've done a. I mean, you've done a good job. I mean, you've had some great opportunities through your business to be able to experience some things that are, you know, pretty special. So. Yeah, I got a couple couple trips on the on the books coming up that I'm. You hope happen. I'm ho- I hope happen. So. Yeah, I just so I've canceled. So I had an opportunity to go to the Dean the first week in June. Yeah. Rebooked again for next year. Yeah. Um, my I do an annual striper camp. My parents. I grew up in the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, you're usually there for two or three weeks every year. Two right? weeks, yeah. Last yeah. week in June, first week in July. Just pulled the plug on that. Mm. You know, my mom cried, and then I have another trip back to ESB Lodge in the first week in November. Actually, during the election, which would be a great place yeah, to you're be. T- you're like, telling like, me about make that. them unplug the wireless and like come like not know until you get back to Cancun. You know? <laughs> right. But uh, that is still on the book, but is probably not going to happen yeah. because of COVID. Yeah, we, we canceled our Tofino trip for August, and we were yeah. supposed to do a trip that were, was on the uh, – we're going to do the traditional fishing from the skiffs in the salt water for coho, all that stuff that we've done mm-hmm. seven or eight times. Um, but then the second trip that we were going to host back-to-back up there was going to be a like a wilderness camping kayak trip. Yep. And, um, and so that was really – you know, so I pulled the plug on it. I mean, one, because I'm like, I don't think – these trips are going to happen. And so it's not fair to all the people that I have, I'm holding their deposits. It's like, if I don't think the trips are going to happen, I need to refund their deposits and just cancel this thing. Right. And there's no way I can pull together that kayak camping, you know, trip it like last minute. So we can pull together the boat trip last minute if things open up and and all that kind of stuff. And we feel like we, you know, it's safe to do and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's, it's actually a trip that is really easy to social distance on and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, but that's the beauty of that. I mean, as we know, I mean, that's the thing about fishing. You hear, I mean, it's everywhere. And you can, you can, you can social distance and yeah. kayaks and boats and camping and all that. Unfortunately, the border's not even open yet. Right. right? And for, not for another month. Exactly. So, who knows what will happen after that? Yeah. yeah. So we're doing it. We're, we're still doing our Montana trip at the end of September, early October. Um, and with that Risler trip, yeah, yeah. So we partnered with Headhunters, and, yeah. and so that'll be a great trip. Um, nice. And then we moved our, our Cuba trip from October to end of February, yeah. and so I, I think hopefully things are in a place where we can do that. That'll be great. Um, yeah, I had some friends that had uh, actually Jim, who was just in the shop here a minute ago, they had to cancel their Cuba, their Cuba trip. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, was, well, I, was, I uh, it was May actually. It was supposed so. to be on Christmas Island a month ago today and we had to cancel that trip and move it to next april and yeah. um so yeah it'd be really interesting i mean they, they shut down pretty aggressively so i did i'd be really curious i mean i think theoretically i mean getting back into christmas right after it opens up whew, could be really really good i just i'm curious as to how they're managing 
you know, potential netting and all those kind of things right now. I mean, I, I would hope that they're being, you know, that they haven't kind of fallen back into some of those old practices that they do there. I don't know where that news is, but, you know, we did a, you know, I do this conservation from the couch thing, the chum. Um, some people may have seen it. It's been really good. It's, um, but we had the guys from Bonefish Tarpon Trust on. You know, and the tarpon fishing in the Keys, I mean, everything's lined up. It's been incredible. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the fish haven't been harassed. There haven't been many boats. There's been nobody from the outside coming in. And Aaron said that even, you know, in the, in the Bahamas, like normally, you know, those fish get wise after they've, you know, those bonefish get wise after they've been targeted for a while. And sure. you go back in October when things open up, it, it's, the fishing's usually pretty good. And he said right now the, it's like being there. The fishing's incredible. Yeah. So there's some real benefits. I think CX Christmas is one of those places that could be really interesting. It'd be pretty sweet to be the first group to to be in there to be there and fish it. Yeah. Especially those GTs and stuff. Yeah. So like I think the I think the lagoon fishing could be better than it's probably been in a long time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I you know so uh, Christmas Island got uh, satellite Wi-Fi uh, just a handful of years ago, and so now all those guides are. You know, they have phones and they're they're on uh, Facebook and so I, I stay in contact with a handful of them yep. and um, and so it sounds like uh, you know with the the once a week Fiji air flight that's not hasn't happened now for a couple months and so that there's no supplies coming in from that and then they were having a barge from Fiji coming in um, bringing in supplies and that comes in I think every four to six weeks or something like that mm -hmm. but they stopped the barge because of COVID cases in Fiji and uh, and Kiribati was trying to just keep, they're really trying to uh, keep themselves uh, safe. And so, so I'm like, so I'm kind of texting some of these guys. I'm like, I'm like, hey, how are you guys hanging in there? Like, like, we're not doing anything. <laughs> we're, we're eating fish and rice and coconuts. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. but like the rice they bring in. So sooner or later, yeah. they're going to run out of rice and they're going to run out of supplies. And well, there was that supply ship that used to come in too from Hawaii every month, I think, that used to park there. But I'm not sure what's going on yeah, there. I don't know if they are with yeah so yeah, yeah. well so, that, yeah, yeah. interesting times you could say that again yeah it's it's <laughs> right? been it's I know. been a little bit we talk about like you know the canadian border being closed and when it might open up shooting 60 days we might be at war with canada <laughs> <laughs> you never know <laughs> the way this thing's going you never right? know what might happen yeah, yeah i mean so, yeah well, I mean, it, yeah, if, and if there's a shortage of toilet paper and and uh, and and maple syrup, we're gonna we're, we're invading. We're gonna want some resources. <laughs> My kids gotta have. A, I gotta make French toast. No yeah. maple syrup, man. I'm dead. Yeah. yeah no, no corn syrup. <laughs> exactly. Syrup. Yeah. We want the real maple. Yeah. What's Mrs. Mrs. Butterworth? Yeah. No. <laughs> this is horrible, by the way. It's, it's terrible. terrible. No doubt. It's terrible. Classic. Okay, so we, yeah, we've been just rambling. This on is what we could do. We could we could do six episodes of this we might and it, uh but we should do it we should just do a podcast that's like hacks on tap like it's a political one and it's like mike murphy and the other guy is uh it's i can't remember his name but he was like it's a republican and a democrat yeah and they, they're in a pub it's called hacks on tap sure and they just talk about stuff like politics and yeah. what's going on like we could do that like yeah we could do one like not every week but we should just do one yeah but, sure but then but then we'd have to i don't i really don't want to talk politics no, we don't have to do that. We can talk other stuff. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so moldy chum is where you spend a bit of your time, and why people, you know, you're you're known as like moldy chum for sure. Like like you're in one of our YouTube videos recently, and someone's like, "Was that moldy chum?" Right. Like, yeah, my left arm is moldy, my right arm is chum. 
I am moldy chump. <laughs> yeah. I am. Yeah. So okay. So what? I mean, for those that don't know, what is moldy chump, and sure. uh, how how do you, how did you guys get started? So it's a, so we started in two thousand and five was when moldy chump launched. But prior to that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was in the outdoor industry. There wasn't really much of a fishing guy. I was fishing at the time, but. And I had an, and that was when blogging was kind of just beginning. Sure. And so I had, a, I was a partner on an outdoor industry style blog. So, like if you think about the early chum, those of you that knew it, this was the same idea, but outdoor industry stuff. Very edgy, kind of like the onion, you know, meets the outdoors. And early on, Moldy Chum was like the onion meets fly fishing. And so we were always posting serious stuff, but you know, 80% of the time we were just being goofy. Um, and this was pre-Facebook and pre-Instagram and pre all the other social media. So at some point I, I was just going, I was doing this piton thing and spending a lot of time on the piton. And I was like, and I was really getting into fly fishing. Right. And so I was like, why am I not doing this with fly fishing? Yeah. And so I basically did both for a while, but that's how the chum launched. Um, and it's been an interesting ride since. I mean, it um, early on, I mean, it was a strictly labor of love. Like, if you looked at the amount of hours and time that I've put into that over the years, I mean, it, it's shocking, really. And it's your other, I see your other child. Yeah, and <laughs> and it is um, like those of you that have been with me all that time, we call it the Chum Nation. I mean, it's global. It. There's been literally maybe one day or two days in its entire history when we haven't posted something. And that's because we had a technical difficulty yeah. um, or we were flipping the platform over. So, and you know, in the, in the heyday, we were four or five posts a day and we're a content aggregator. I mean, we shine a light on other things. It's not like you know, we have, we had day jobs and, you know, spouses and ultimately kids and, so we didn't spend a ton of time writing 300 word blog posts. You know, our thing was like we would put a picture up and make a pithy headline and right. and share it. And that, you know, which is kind of a lot of social media now. So but we've evolved over that time. And over that time, as the other social media channels have come to life, we've changed. And so, you know, honestly, our our viewership, you know, compared to what it was in the early days is much lower than it used to be because Back in the day, the only place you could see big people holding big fish, slab of the month contest, and honestly, you know, women in bikinis holding fish was on Moldy Chum. And you go to Instagram and all those other places right now, and there's just a plethora of that kind of content. Sure. So even though our, our numbers are kind of down, our engagement has gone up dramatically. The amount of time people spend, kind of our influence within the industry, you know, conservation is a pillar of what we do, and that's, that's also something that I do personally, and those yeah. things kind of develop together. But that's how, kind of how, how we got to where we are today. And um, yeah, so super proud of it. Super proud to have inspired some other people. You know, you look at, I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of these other sites that are out there and kind of what they've embraced is, you know, directly a result of who we, of the mold, of Moldy Chum. Mm -hmm. But in some respects, you know, there is a little bit of that. Yeah. So. That's something that to me is, you know, where you can have some kind of influence and, you know, for people and do some good work. Yeah. I mean, I, we've done a couple of things. I, I could list them, you know, over the years where 
you know, we've shined a light on something and we've made a difference. And that those yeah. are the things that have been the most important. So yeah. Um, so like one of the things that you've been doing recently, conservation from the couch. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, th this has been a. Um, a partnership with AFTA. That's correct. Right? And then there's yep. been a bunch of different sponsors involved in that. Um, yeah, entire, yeah, we call it supporters. Like we're not making people pay. Sure. But you know, if you look at it, it's, we've touched every pretty so much. How did, so how did this idea come up? And then, and then, um, and, well, what is it? And then yeah. kind of talk about like where it came from. Cause I'm, I'm like, oh, I bet Brian thought this one up, but. No, so it's not, so honestly it's not, it wasn't my idea. I'm shocked. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, but the idea came from my, partner in crime, Paul Moynister, okay. who was a form, real formal partner in Moldy Chum for a couple of years, and is and his a brilliant guy, he used to work on Capitol Hill, incredible writer, he's written for Fly Fish Journal, Patagonia, everybody, um, is, is, and through the Chum has become one of my dearest friends. Well, he and another guy named Lucas Bassett, who's a guide out of uh, New Orleans, they do some work for Ocean Conservancy. A, long, a lot of saltwater stuff. And so they kind of came up with the idea initially. And then they, 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 re, then they reached out to me, and well, what do you think? Could you help support it and push it out? So I've had some creative influence on the, on the back end, but it was really their idea. Yeah. And the idea essentially is that while we're all stuck on the couch during the pandemic, you can learn something about a particular species of fish and particular groups that are working to protect them. And what we've learned, and it's been really, really good. Um, we did a striper, uh, one about stripers and featured American Saltwater Guides Association. We did uh, Louisiana Redfish. We did uh, Tarpon and Permit, which is Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And we did a steelhead episode, which was here in Wild Steelhead Coalition. And actually last night we just wrapped up. So it was only supposed to be four episodes. Sure. And there was such, such people loved it so much that we've we're doing additional ones. And last night we did one with the team from TU, which was really, really good. And uh, you can provide links in the, in the description on this. Is thing. there, is there a fishery? In, I mean, this, so just as you're sharing about this, I'm yeah. just thinking, is, I mean, is there a fishery that you know of in the country that's a, a, a popular fishery that doesn't have, uh, that doesn't need and have a group um, to, to advocate for it and, um, and to address issues with the fishery? No, I don't think so. And what was really funny about this, I well, not funny, but I think what was really meaningful about this and the biggest lesson learned from it, yeah, sure, we were talking about striped bass and we were talking about redfish and both, but we were, but there was a th consistent thread. Through all of them. Exactly. Okay. Regardless of the species, regardless of where you were, you heard the same themes through every single episode, not five episodes. And so to me, that is the real value of what this is kind of. What were some of those themes that you discovered? Well, that we all have the same vested interests, whether we're protecting redfish or we're protecting steelhead. And that's always been one of the challenges, like, you know, as, as a, somebody that's been fighting for on behalf of wild steelhead, how do you get somebody that's never fished for a steelhead, who's a East Coast guy to care about steelhead? It's and so hard. It is, but yeah. when you but when you watch a webinar where you've got people on and they're talking about the challenges that they face and all people yeah. you can relate to it. Yeah. And so I think building those threads across species and anglers and all that stuff, you, you kind of build a bigger collective voice potentially to be able to, to do some work beyond just kind of preaching to your usual choir. Okay, I have a follow up question. Okay. So um, if if pretty much every popular fishery across the country 
um, it, is in need of advocates and uh, conservation work. Mm-hmm. What is the what do you think is the the, av- the the responsibility for the average fly angler, um, or at least the bare minimum? Because there's because sure. I because I know some some anglers. Um, I mean, we we know a lot of anglers because of our customer base. Some of them are very involved in conservation work. Um, they either donate money, they they go out and get their hands dirty yep. uh, with cleanups, and like yep. some of them are involved on the science side of it. But then there's other anglers that um, you know their conservation work uh, is um, releasing the fish with proper techniques sure. of catch and release. You know, they, sure. they, other than that, that's that's it. Right. Um, so you know, where you know, so for people listening in, and maybe maybe I'm assuming we we have some um, we have some some people listening in that you know maybe they've only been fly fishing a year or maybe six months, and uh, and they they're just starting to learn about. Um, you know these fish that they're that they're exploring and catching and stuff like that. They're like, oh, there's issues with these, or um, yeah. like, and, oh, there's people that are doing things to help the fish, and mm-hmm. and do they need help and all that kind of stuff. Like, yep. so what are you know what are just like some basic, you know maybe the, you know what's the threshold sure. of like, hey, this is really what people should be thinking about. So it, it's really it's, for me, it's kind of the, one of the most important things, right? Like, how do you activate? And you mentioned there's people that their level of activation can be just from releasing fish to doing a cleanup. And I think I think I'll frame it with this: is like when you get into fly fishing, and we talked about this on the TU couch session last night. When I first started fly fishing, like I all of a sudden cared about the water and I cared about the fish and I learned about bugs and so I I, I had this um, you know desire to get more knowledge and I became a TU member because that's what I did and that was like that's how like. Fly fishing is a gateway to all of this, so that's super important. I think that there is a, um, and I will say this, it's like oftentimes we look at the doom and gloom of all of this. And if you look at, like, this is again, we had this, again, this is kind of the importance of these conversations is we heard about how the Driftless area, like 50 years ago, that it was devastated. It was, it was ruined from poor practices and stream management and erosion, and now, there's you know tens of miles, hundred you know of miles of restored fishable water. Um, so there are really some good success stories. I, you know, and there's, I mean, I, I guess you would call it. Uh, this is a term, conservation hobbyism to some extent. Like, where do you where do you draw the line between? Yeah, you got to click off the box, right? You, you join to you. You send some money to the Wild Steelhead Coalition. You show up and drink some beers and do a raffle ticket and you raise some money. That's all. That's that's great. Yeah. But how do you kind of go to that kind of next level? And for that, it's, you know, the stream cleanup, building community, all that stuff is really important, getting your fingernails dirty. But when it comes to kind of political activism, you know, you can go online and, you know, fill in your email address and your uh, change.org petition. That's, that's, again, that's kind of clicking the box. Yeah. While you're on the couch and doing stuff, picking up the phone, first of all, learning and educating yourself about the issue, and then picking up the phone or writing a personal email about an issue to somebody that has the power, whether it's in Olympia or Washington, D.C., or whatever city, hall, or state house in the state that you live in, that's where you can really begin to move the meter on some of these really important issues. And I think, you know, Sam Snyder, um, you know, he's, a, he's a somebody that I've met through all of the work that I've done. He's been very active on the Pebble Mine campaign. 
Um, he's a scholar. He's written, you know, about conservation and fly fishing historically, you know, Hague, Roderick Brown and those kind of things. And he wrote a piece and that was in the chum. And it was like, if you're not going to get involved in some of these things as a fly angler, you should get off the water. That like that's kind of the price. I mean, it was it was it was definitely pointed and it was really harsh. But if you're going to take advantage of that resources for 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 all the reasons that yeah. we all love so much, you really you do really have to take some time to get involved to help protect that stuff. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and it's not it's not easy. Um, it's it's not easy to to get started and and no. like opportunities to volunteer are not. Uh, they're not just apparent, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot right. of times like a lot, a lot of conservation groups, they want your involvement, uh, yeah. in, in the form of a check or, uh, yeah. an email, you know, and, and like, but other than that, like, I mean, right. I, you know, a lot of them haven't done a, a really, a, a really great job at soliciting, uh, people's help for just like, like boots on the ground stuff. So, um, yeah. so like maybe, okay. So I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are here in Washington. And, yeah, guess, um, yeah. and, you know, so the, the two things that come up with our customer base a lot is wild steelhead probably comes up the number one, but the other one is the, is with, um, is with coastal cutthroat. Yep. Um, and there's the coastal cutthroat coalition that's doing research and, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of projects to, to yeah. learn about the fish cause we know nothing about them. Um, and then the, but wild steelhead has had a, that's been a long fight um because the numbers just keep dwindling like you know so eat, whether people uh you know fish for steelhead or or not um i mean steelhead are just they're in they're an important fish to um to our state and our heritage state fish and what I mean what so it's an indicator species too like salmon and all that stuff i mean the state i mean fish are kind of you look at what are three ways that people could i mean three give three options to to newer anglers that they're like, yeah, I mean, I want to do something that's more than just, uh, you know, joining to be a member of the Wild Steelhead Coalition, which they should do. So but there's there's a number. So there's a number of groups out there. I mean, that's one of the things that, that to just to backtrack just for one second is I think there's one of the not conundrums, but one of the things is there's multiple groups all trying to do the same thing. Sure. And everybody has their own tactics, and. And then there's also groups that are trying to do the same thing that you might not even agree with and the policy positions that they have around, whether it's hatcheries or dams and all those kind of things. So, oh, yeah. and, and for me, it, a lot of it stems from abundance. So like, if you look at it, like if you look at the striped bass fishery right now on the East Coast, it, I mean, striped bass are in trouble, but you can still go out and catch them. They're there. Like it's, it's not, and so the fights aren't as kind of, contentious because there's still kind of enough to go around. Hmm. Pebble Mine is another example. Largest, like, I can't remember, Chris Wood said this on yeah. the show, like the percentage of the the entire salmon population of the world that comes out of there is crazy. Yeah. So no one's fighting over the resources. Like, yeah, we don't want that mine in there. We all agree on that. Sure. But then you get to strike, we get to, to steelhead, we're fighting over crumbs at this point. Yeah. 3%, 2% of historical abundance, like crazy. So I think the, the first thing is to find that group that you're most aligned with. You know, if you're a pitchfork and torches guy, like I tend to be, you know, maybe you're going to gravitate to a particular group <laughs> because you want to stir it up. Right. I think the first thing, though, is you've, you've got to really educate yourself on what the issues are. And 
find out within those issues what are the ones that are important to you. Um, and and it's a personal thing because if you if you're a steelhead angler, you should have you've got a personal connection to it, and and to bring other people into it, like sure. that's the other piece. That's the second piece. It's like so to educate people, educate start, yourself, and then with. and then bring your friends in with you. Yeah. So we have a couple things that are happening uh, now. Yeah. that uh, are steelhead yep. related that people could Huge. learn about. So um, yep. let's point people to a couple of those resources. You bet. So, I mean, Shane Anderson, um, his, some of his stuff is, is... I heard he was on the podcast. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up, you jerk. Yeah. You did that. Oh. I had to throw it out there. Oh, hey, so, Shane, I hope you're watching. Yeah, I hope you are, Shane. I am so sorry. So, I, I'm an idiot. I, I, we recorded a podcast with Shane. And you know it's during this whole COVID thing, and um, and we tried to do it over Zoom, and I screwed it up, and well, I, we, I, we don't. We I don't gotta tell it. you, having so. worked with Zoom on conservation with the couch, Zoom is not the most intuitive program, especially when you don't have the most intuitive person. So <laughs> oh, yeah, look at this um, setup. Though. Well, pretty, pretty yeah, yeah, solid. yeah. But so yeah, I think there's there's a bunch of issues happening right now. So if you're local, and you're really concerned about steelhead stuff, and you want some stuff that's immediate. Um, there's a proposal to put a dam on the Chehalis River, and that's a movie that Shane just made. And there's a movie that he just put out, and it still might be available on YouTube. It's called Chehalis, A Watershed Moment. It's a fantastic film. Now, Shane's done a bunch of other films, you know, Wild Reverence, about what, like, it's, a, it's an overview. I mean, you can, you can access all that stuff. But as it relates to the Chehalis Dam, the common period just ended, but you can still make your voice heard about there's a plan to put a large-scale retention structure. They don't call it a dam. They have a, you know, some politically correct speak for it on some of the best salmon and steelhead spawning habitat in the state on the Chehalis River. Right, um, which is a river that is currently not dammed <laughs> at all. Like this isn't like, you know, I grew up in Sacramento and, you know, I, I mean, I was trying to count what, at one, one time like how many dams there were on the oh. – just on the American River system that goes up to oh. Tahoe, you know, I can't even—I lost track at like 13 or something like that. And Steelhead used to swim way up there, so they, you got to dam to that. Those cotton you know, fields and all that agriculture out there, salmon used to swim out there in right. those lakes that used to form yeah. back in the day. So the we're other, talking about an entirely free-flowing river that's with right. all these tributaries. That, well, and there's a whole sh there's a whole basin-wide restoration plan, kind of as part of all this yeah. thing, and it would be the one of the, it would be the biggest. Basin-wide restoration plan, I think, in American history, about seven hundred and fifty million dollars. So, um, but so that's one thing. That's a big one as it relates uh -huh. to steelhead. I think the second one right now, uh, the second one is the proposal from Cook Aquaculture to convert their Atlantic salmon net pens in Puget Sound to steelhead production, and that one's just a fool's errand. And 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 Cook's got a really bad record. I mean, they had a salmon net pen up off of, you know, up in the north, northern part of the sound that failed. And so you can, there's a lot of information about that. And all the groups here, I mean, I would say, you know, the Wild Fish Conservancy, Wild Steelhead Coalition, Native Fish Society, CCA, I mean, all of the groups that are, they're all going to have some type of action alert around those two particular issues, which are the most immediate. You know, I think there's two things. One is, too, is like we fight a lot of battles, right? But we're losing the war. I mean, this is one of the things that I say. I mean, I like I said earlier, I've only been fishing since 2000. And like I didn't really, I moved here in, you know, 2002. 
And by every single metric, as somebody that turned their attention to steelhead after being a trout guy early on, by every metric, as conservation groups, we're failing because that it's it just continues to get worse and worse. Now there are some great success stories, you know, the Elwha Dam. You know, Shane made that great movie with you know the guys from TU, John yeah, Mullen. Killer. You know, like the restoration of a summer run steelhead run on the Elwha River. That's just miraculous, you know. Yeah. And that's the good news. I mean, the good news is like if you leave it alone, it'll be okay. Right. Um, so yeah, why are you thinking about putting a dam on a you know a completely you know pristine river? So there's lots you can do. And then I think also you can kind of lend your voice. You know, when you go into that voting booth in the fall, you know you you'll take vote the environment. You know, all things being yeah. equal, you know, like there's some decisions made that you know if if some if shovel goes in the ground on the pebble mine, it's never going to get unwound ever. Right. And so if you care about those kind of issues and you can, you know, maybe you have a difference of opinion around some other issues, but all things being equal, you know, that's another way you can do it. Yeah. And that's a really, really, I think, valued point given in the day and age that we live in right now. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so, a good word. Yeah. So. Okay, so I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, and, and with that, <laughs> let's we, talk fishing. No, we're done. We're we're done. We're sorry. Yeah, man. we're we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug on it. Uh, no, yeah. but this is so great. Is that what we're gonna do? Is that we're gonna fire back up in a minute and okay. um, and for a part two. Um, and so, hey, if you're listening, make sure you subscribe so you get the uh, you get Links. notified when you get the next uh, the next one yeah. launches next Monday. Um, and um, man, it's great having Brian on the podcast. And Super fun. Yeah, we we'll, we're gonna talk. Yeah, we're gonna sure. talk fishing, more fishing. We got some funny fishing stories, and oh, so yeah. we're we're trying not That's to just cute. make it all about fishing stories. But I'm I'm glad we got into some some. Yeah, meat we got on, into that. Uh, yeah, we got to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna lighten it up. So yeah. so th- thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gig Harbor Flycast, and we'll see you back next week. Yeah.